Thanks for listening to the Life Church Boise weekly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Mark Bohr. For any other messages or other resources, please visit us at lcboise.com. God is good. Everybody ready for some word today? Shout out to those in the cafe service. What's up? If you brought your Bible with you, go with me today to First uh, Peter. First Peter, chapter three. Of course, if you're really cool and have a Bible app, or not cool, or whatever you think you are, do it that way. But look at these verses with me, if you would. And uh, I believe it will be helpful if you will get them established in your heart. We began a new series of messages this past week. And uh, I was sharing with you, in particular at the beginning of that, about the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? Uh, We have all been called by God to the ministry of reconciliation. Whether you know what that is or not or understand or, or participate in it doesn't remove the fact that from God He has given you and I an assignment to bring others to reconcile them to God. Okay, so that just simply exists. In order for us to effectively fulfill God's purpose For our lives, we must prepare. We must be ready with an answer. And so that's our new series, Ready with an Answer. Too many times, believers uh, have, they're believers, obviously, they're called that, they're saved, they're in the family of God, but they're not ready to answer questions. And people have questions. They want to know what's going on. What's the deal with you? Why do you do that? Why do you, why, you used to be like this, but now you're like this. Why have you changed? You have a good reason? How, would you, how do you answer that? And we need to have answers. whole bunch of questions in the world. And if we're going to be of any value, any benefit to our unsafe loved ones and family and friends and coworkers, then we need to be prepared with answers. Okay? Now, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 reads this way. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone uh, who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Some translations use the word answer there as opposed to defense. Amplified Bible, same verse. In your hearts set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge Him as Lord, always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you, but do it courteously and respectfully. So you can see here by this language, since we are instructed, told by inspired words from God to be ready to give an answer, then uh, because ready to give an answer to people who ask you, then we must conclude that those being written to 
must be living their lives. They have something active in their lives that demands that question. There must be something observable happening in a believer's life so that those who are not in the kingdom of God will look and say, what's up? What's going on here? Hmm? Because they're not going to look at you and see your born-again spirit. They're not going to look at you and see your relationship with God per se. Uh, but they're going to look at your lifestyle, how, how you conduct yourself, what you do and what you do not do. How you're not moved by things that they are moved by. How some, some activities and situations you avoid, but they participate in. Some things make them happy and tick you off. And, and, and it's vice versa with them. Right? There really has been a change in us. Something really is different, and it needs to be seen. We need to be respectful, courteous, but it needs to be observable. And then, from that point, we need to have an answer. Okay, here's the deal. This is why. This is what happened to me. And this is this, and this is this, and this is And we have answers for the questions that they have. Now, someone said, well, I feel like I'm still on the question side. Listen, I get that. I understand that. I don't think there's any one of us who have had all of our questions answered concerning all things by any means. Uh, but it's very likely that in the beginning of your relationship with God, and I know there are those here who don't have this yet, and so I'm not ignorance, ignorant of your, uh, you know, your presence, and we'll talk to you as well. But if you have a relationship with God in the beginning, your answer to a question about what's going on was probably pretty simplistic, but still very powerful. I mean, in the beginning days, you might have just said, well, I was told, someone told me about God's love and Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, and, and, and I accepted that, and I, I received that. It, I just knew it was right, and I received Him as my Savior, and that's all I have to say about that. And you know, that was simplistic, and it was a good answer because it, because it was true, and it was real, and it's genuine. It's the real article in your life, and I think that all by itself can be used of God. But as we go along, as we progress, we should increase in answers because there are other answers to other questions that people have, and we should know answers. Does anybody like to know the answer to questions when they're asked? I don't like not knowing. You, you, you ever been taking a test in school and you were unprepared? How'd that feel? You dreaded it. I mean, ah, ah, you were just so hoping it was all true or false and, 50, you know, <laughs> maybe a 50-50 chance you're going <laughs> to gonna make it. Well, still a flunk. <laughs> but if you, were, if you were prepared, if you had done the homework and you had read the material and you had studied, you're going... You're, you're going in with a confidence, a boldness, an assurance. You're ready to take this thing. Other people are freaking out, and, they're, and you're just relaxed. You slept well the night before, and you're ready to go. Well, I think in life, we can be that way. We, there's a preparedness inside. Many young, young ministers have asked me, uh, you know, in preparing for ministry, we have a Bible college, of course, and, and people have this concern sometimes that they might say something that's wrong, or teach something that's incorrect. And honestly, 
I'm kind of glad they have that concern because, listen, you're going to stand in a position of authority. You need to do the homework and get it right. And I, but I also remember feeling that way in school, thinking, I can't just say something. What if it's wrong? But I got to a place where I no longer had fear of doing that. Why? We just you, you grow in answers. You grow in a knowledge of God's Word, and you can speak confidently and boldly. And, of course, all believers should be involved in this, not just, you know, those who are pastors and, and teachers and fivefold ministry type of gifts, okay? And so uh, we should live our lives in such a way that it demands these questions, and then we're ready for answers. Yeah, yeah. Listen to the Message Bible. It reads, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. So be ready to speak up. Yeah. Now, could a person have false hope? They could. There are people in life that are, they have an expectation of good things to come, but it's not based on any solid foundation. And so we, only, we not only want to have hope and expectation of good things to come, but we also want to have a good answer. You can have false hope, but then you have a bad answer. There are people that have false hope, and you ask them, what's going on? And they don't have a good answer for it. But we do have a good answer. We just need to know what those answers are. I would encourage everyone, uh, build your house on a rock. And we're trying to get ready for others. But you know what? Here's the deal. First and foremost, I need answers for myself. Because if I don't know the reason for the hope that's in me, if I'm not certain and grounded in that, I'm likely going to fall away when it gets tough. When you're challenged, when you go through a difficulty, when you're questioned and you don't have answers for you, you might go witnessing, sharing the gospel with someone else and they end up getting you unsaved. I don't know if, can you do that? Got three people unsaved today. (laughs) but listen in reality i mean what do you think we're doing in the universities in our country today talking people out of the reality of god it's sad it's tragic it's because christians often are not prepared they're not ready young people go into college they don't have answers and they get questioned with by people who are in authority people who are well educated they get questions they don't have answers for those questions and i think that's sad we should have answers amen for ourselves, and then for others. All right. So do you have a good answer? Well, I want to help you. Let's go. Let's talk some more. I can't give you all the answers, but we, we, can, we can discuss a few things. Look with me over at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to focus the remainder of our time today on one particular area one area that we can have a good, solid answer for those who have questions concerning the hope that is in us. And specifically, it refers to this. It is about prophecy that has been fulfilled. Do you know that whatever God has said at any time, you can take it to the bank? Do you know if He said it, He will do it, and you can prove that all day long in the B-I-B-L-E. And look at this verse right here in 2 Timothy 3.16. It reads, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness. Amen. And, right, and, that, and that, means, that means doing what is right. The Word of God or Scripture is given to that end so it would produce those things in our lives. Many people today, they don't know what to do. They don't know what's right and what's wrong. They call right wrong and wrong right, and they mix that whole thing up into a massive confusion. But the Scriptures were inspired so we would know. A lot of people in our world don't know. You should know what's right, what's wrong, what needs to be corrected, what needs to be adjusted, what, what's doctrine, what's correct. And the Scripture again says that all, the word here, all Scripture was given to this, to this end is all different than some. Some Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, you'd think the way a lot of people conduct themselves these days, that that would be what that said. Because they take this verse, I like this one, I don't like this one. Yep, this one's for to me, this one's for someone else. This one's for today, this one's old and decrepit. This, this one's expired. Am I right? Uh, this one, this one's not relevant anymore for our time, huh? But I don't think we can have it both ways. We're either going to say all Scripture is inspired by God, or we're going to we're not we can't we can't count on any of it. It's unreliable. I mean, you know, this has been happening in the church world today, to where you've got entire groups, entire denominations that at one time had a mighty move of God. God moved tremendously, and today they set aside large sections of the Word. They set aside Scriptures at their own choosing because it doesn't fit in the culture. It's not politically correct, so they adapt. Basically, they change the Word of God. But if that's the case, how do you even know you're saved? But the truth is, often in those situations, nobody's getting saved anymore. It's just a dead religion. I don't want a dead religion. I don't want a religion. I just want Jesus. I want life. I want a relationship with God. I want Him to, to shine through me and bounce off me like the sun shines off the moon. You know? Uh, I, I, I want God to be seen. But it's not just the ones we like, just the ones we agree with. It's either from God or it's not. And be honest with yourself. Do you adhere to all the Word, all the Scripture, or do you set some aside and say, it's irrelevant for today? <laughs> Good question, huh? All right. Answer that on the test later. Let's talk a little bit about the book, all right? The Bible means the book. It's really a book of books. It's a book that has 66 books in it, Okay. The Bible is, it was written by 40 different authors from various backgrounds, all right? They were, now think about this, they were judges, uh, sheep breeders, priests, statesmen, kings, poets, musicians, philosophers, farmers, tax collectors, physicians, tent makers, and fishermen. A lot of different backgrounds. Uh, it was written over a period of 1,600 years. Now, we know it covers more years than that, but it was written over a period of 1,600 years in places like palaces, prisons, 
cities, wildernesses, etc. All kinds of different places. And what's interesting is that it makes any sense at all. I mean, you think about, how is that even possible? All these different people, they didn't know each other. They didn't live in the same cultures. They, They were so different, and yet it's all been placed together in one book, and it flows. There's this fabric that flows through it that says, man, that goes with this, and it goes with this, and it goes. They didn't know each other. They were so different. The prison and the palace. And they wrote something that flowed just like this. Just the very fact that the Bible is what it is. It has to raise the question of. I think there might have been someone behind the scenes. Inspiring the person here with the sheep. And the person here in the palace. and the person. You know what I'm talking about? It's like there had to be someone else behind this directing it, or it could never have come out even remotely close to what we have. But the deal is, of course, they couldn't get together and plan this out. Hey, chapter 1, then chapter 2, then you work on chapter 3, and by the end we're going to get to this, and we're going to say, you know, salvation, (laughs) heaven, and and, uh, relationship with God. That was not possible, and it didn't happen, yet it still goes there. Yet it still shows you how to get from a, a, an unsaved, separated from God condition all the way into a union with God forever, and it's clear. This is amazing. Now, uh, there are, in our, in our scriptures, as many Bible scholars will tell you, over 300 prophecies specific to Jesus, to the Messiah, to the Savior. 300 that predicted him and said things about his life and what he would accomplish. Jesus referenced the scriptures while on earth about his own self. He said things, uh, Hebrews 10, 7 reads, Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me, in the scriptures. So Jesus was a fulfillment of things already said, already written, already prophesied concerning him. In John 5:39, he said to these religious people referencing the scriptures, he said, "And these are they which testify of me." So Jesus was a fulfillment of prophecy. What? from people over many, many, many hundreds of years, from all different walks of life. They didn't know each other. They couldn't collude on this. They couldn't plan it out. But God gave this person a word. And he showed this person over here what was going to happen. And generations later, he gave another person another part. And they all wrote about it. And Jesus came in and fulfilled it all. I'm telling you, without the God element, that's impossible. It's totally impossible. But let's walk through this a a, a little little bit more, all right? I know individuals might say, well, concerning those prophecies, those messianic prophecies, you know, they're sometimes kind of vague and sometimes not real clear. And I think maybe other people could have fulfilled those prophecies as much as Jesus could. Uh, That might sound like a logical or logical argument, but 
if you were talking about one or two, I'd say, yeah, you're right. I guess someone else could have. But when we're talking hundreds, I would say absolutely not. You've got to be crazy to think that. That is not possible. There, there was a, a guy um, named Peter Stoner who, who published this book in the, uh, the mid-1900s called uh, Science Speaks. And uh, John Bevere put some of this in, in his writings as, as well. But they, what, what he discussed and what his team did, these team of scientists, they were using what's called the science of probability to determine the probability or the likelihood that Jesus could be the fulfillment of these prophecies and what, what were the odds there. Um, and so what they did is initially they took eight prophecies concerning Jesus and they said, let's look at just eight of them. Let me give you the ones that they used. I'll put this information on the screen with scripture references so we don't take time you know, going through all these. But here are the eight that they looked at. Prophecy, and then, the, then these have been fulfilled already. Okay, That Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. Number two, that Christ is to be preceded by a messenger. Number three, Christ is to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Number four, that Christ is to be betrayed by a friend. Number five, Christ is to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Number six, the money for which Christ is sold is to be thrown, quote, to the potter in God's house. Number seven, that Christ is to be silent before his accusers. Number eight, Christ is to be executed by crucifixion as a thief. And then there's all the references. We'll put all those up there together in case you're wanting them. He said, I'd like to have that, and, and then you can take a picture. Unless you can write really fast, all right? If you want that, you can have that, and you have all those scriptures and those references for your own usage, uh, especially if you have friends that are very scientific, and this might be something that would help them to understand what's going on. Now, they used those eight, not 300, eight, and they started doing the science of probability to determine what's the likelihood that one guy... um, in the current time, could, could fulfill this. And here's how that works, just most of you probably would realize this. If we took a bucket and we put 10 tennis balls in the bucket, one of them was white, the others were yellow, and we blindfolded you and said, pick the white one out. We stirred them up and said, pick the white one out. What would be your odds? The probability. It would be 1 in 10. All right? So you'd probably get it wrong. But there's a chance all right? Better than the lottery. <laughs> There's a chance that you could get the right one out in that scenario. Now, when we look at Jesus and the prophecies, uh, we want to look at probability here. We, and th- this is what this guy wrote. We find that the chance of any man, that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion, okay, that is one with 17 zeros. That's the likelihood that one person could do eight 
This is just a scientific approach. And then he went on to elaborate. Okay, let me, let me, let me read uh, some of what they wrote. If it were possible for us to obtain 100 quadrillion silver dollars, we would have a problem. And that is how to store them. There is no warehouse or building large enough in the entire world. The volume would be so enormous, the coins would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. That's a massive amount of coins. Suppose we did manage to obtain these coins. Now let's mark one of these silver dollars and then shuffle the entire load and redistribute them over the state of Texas. Got it? Now blindfold a man, put him in a helicopter, and fly him over the state, waiting for him to give the order to set down. Once on the ground, he can get out of the helicopter, still blindfolded, and pick out one coin. The chance of him picking the one marked coin in the entire state of Texas is the same chance that any one man from the time of the prophets to modern times would fulfill the eight messianic prophecies. Wow. So this means the fulfillment of these eight prophecies alone proves that God inspired the writing of those prophecies to a definiteness which lacks only one chance in 100 quadrillion of being absolute. So what they did is they went on to consider, what if we did eight more prophecies? Sixteen. What, what, were, what would be the probability there that this could be the case? And so they did the, the, the study, and the chance that one man would fulfill all sixteen is one in ten to the forty-fifth power. That's a one with 45 zeros behind it. If we were to take this number of silver dollars, the earth would be too small to store them. We would have to combine them into a solid ball. This ball or sphere would have a diameter 60 times greater than the distance from the earth to the sun. It's 5.5 billion miles. It would take over 400 years to fly nonstop around this globe of silver dollars. You ever been on a long trip, long flight? (laughs) No, you haven't. (laughs) Imagine marking one of these silver dollars and thoroughly stirring it into the massive globe. Then blindfolding a man and telling telling him to pick out any one dollar. Would you expect it to be the marked one? Now you have an idea of the chance of one person fulfilling just 16 of the prophecies written about Jesus hundreds of years before his birth. We could take time, but we won't. But they went on further. And they said, what about 48 prophecies? And they extrapolated further, and it got into micro stuff. And it's beyond comprehension. What if you threw in 300? We cannot wrap our minds around this. The improbability, we would have to say the impossibility that Jesus could actually, or any one person could could fulfill them. And yet Jesus did. I tell you, 
what's the reason for the hope that you have in you? I tell you, this helps a whole bunch. Huh? I mean, I could talk about it all day long, and we have a lot of things, and we'll cover some of them, different reasons. But this helps a whole bunch to know that he did exactly what was said about him. That's impossible. That's incomprehensible. And yet it's a historical fact. Yet it's written in books, in the Bible, in, ex, in, in external books that are not the script. It, it is absolutely just there. Now, Jesus said concerning his, his own self and concerning God's word, Mark 13, 31, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You know, God set this up so we could have full and complete confidence in anything that comes out of his mouth that we could literally bank our lives upon it because if he said it, it's going to happen. And we have a historical record of this happening with Jesus and that gets me excited concerning everything he has said about me. Because I tell you, there is no chance under God's blue sky, green earth, (laughs) that what God said concerning my life is not going to happen. He's proven himself time and time and time again. Amen. But if this is God's word concerning Jesus, do you think it can be relied upon for our salvation? Man. But then we take it from there. What about our healing? What about God meeting our needs? What about peace and joy and victory and everything that He has promised concerning our lives? When you see the absoluteness of God's Word, which, by the way, goes beyond probability, because in, even in that, even though it's incomprehensible, there's a slight opportunity. You know, there's that little minute. With God, it is absolute period because heaven and earth are hanging on the integrity of his word and when you and I see this as absolute as as life-changing we start resting on it we start relying on it we start praying with great confidence great assurance and we see God come do things and minister to us and his will comes to pass in our lives and we don't waver at all but if, he, if that's true concerning Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, it's also true concerning every other prophecy, every other promise for your life. But it's also then true concerning how he has instructed us to conduct our lives. Yeah. And this is where, listen, we, we cannot separate the two and say, well, I believe that's the case there for Jesus. But now, when it comes to how I live my life, how I conduct my affairs, well, I'm just not sure if we're interpreting that right. And we go into this mushy land sometimes and we water everything down. I'm glad the promises of God and the prophecies concerning Jesus and our lives have no water. <laughs> they are concentrate. Amen. And they are something that we can count on, we can rest on, and I don't ever want to set aside God's ways for modern day thinking. As, as Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, let God be true and every man a liar. 
And when we get this settled in our hearts, I tell you, not only does it ground us, we can dig in. Come on now. We're not going to be moved. We are settled. We are established. But also, when asked, when questioned, have you considered? What's the deal with that hope in you? Have you considered what God said through all these different people over all these years and the specificity of what, what happened in Jesus' life and how he became exactly what was said? Have you considered that? And I find this. It seems that when an individual will start to open up their mind and they'll start to consider the ways of the Lord, His love for them, that He really does have a plan for their life, that He really does want a relationship with them. They consider it, it starts getting brighter. The door starts opening more. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get our foot in the door. You ever had that with brothers and, or sisters growing up where you're playing and one runs into a room and tries to lock you out? They try to close the door on you and get it locked. But you know, if you can get your foot in that door, you know, you got a shoe on, and if your foot's in there, <laughs> there's no way they're getting that door closed. Right? You got your foot in there, and it's cracked, and now it's going to open all the way because they're not going to be able to keep you out. Yeah. And there's something about when the door is cracked. There's something about when through the hope, the expectation of your life, someone inquires. And maybe they have these blocks. Maybe they're those who really are, you know, engrossed in the scientific realm and the scientific world. And sometimes logic presented like this. And it, what it does is it cracks. It cracks. In fact, we had, uh, you know, we were eating dinner with some people uh, some months ago. And uh, he... This gentleman told me, you know, he, he was, a, a, I believe, a biology teacher at, at USC in California. He said, I was basically atheist for a long time. And he, said, he, he told me, he said, someone shared with me some things about and gave me some things to read about intelligent design. He said, I just started thinking about it and it started making sense. Now, does intelligent design save you? No. You've got to have the move of God in your life. The Spirit has got to reveal things to people. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why things happen. But people start, it starts to break down an argument. Break down something that says it can't be because of this. And then they crack the door. And they start looking. And God says, hi. Because <laughs> he's on the other side of that door. And they start looking. And he starts opening. And all of a sudden, all these thoughts start breaking down, and the light of God's glory comes to them. And you'll see the person who was resistant to God because of the answer that you gave them. And this might only be the answer for some, but the answer that you gave them caused them to inquire, caused them to look a little bit more, caused them to ask more questions. And at the end of those questions, I tell you, Jesus said it, if you seek, you're going to find. And if I can get someone to look, oh, good things are coming. Amen? I tell you, there's so many tools we can have in our belt. But it sure is good to have answers. It sure is good to be ready with an answer to help people in our world today. Amen? Father, thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for your life in us now. 
for your spirit that works mightily, strong and mighty in the midst of us. And you're leading and guiding and helping and preparing each and every one of us to represent you well. That the ministry of reconciliation might be fulfilled in and through each and every one of us. So, Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit now, our teacher, our guide, our helper, our comforter, our strengthener. Working working in us and working through us. And, Father, for those who've struggled, those who've cried out, those who've who've needed answers. they They weren't certain. They're looking, Father. Reveal yourself more to them, I pray. Show them your great love and your wisdom. Give them understanding of the way things really are so that that they might enter in and enjoy your best all the days of their lives. I thank you for working in us today. I thank you. You're so good to us. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray this as well, that you would give strategies to individuals. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to approach this, this person. They don't know how to deal with this difficult relational situation. Give them your ways, your strategies, for he who wins souls is wise. Give them your wisdom, Father, I pray. And they'll know what to do and they'll know what to say. And they'll know how to guide them in the right way. Thank you for your inspired word today. Father, I know it brings life to those who find it health to all their flesh so thank you for the healing of bodies for the restoration of minds for marriages for relationships we thank you that you make it all well we declare and i declare peace and sound being over everyone's home today in jesus precious name We hope you enjoyed this message. Find our other messages on iTunes or visit our website at lcboise.com and follow us on social media, Life Church Boise. Thank you and have a blessed day.